just say this. Uh, last week, I looked at the crowd and about 80 to 90 percent of you had confused looks, okay? So if you were confused on categorical syllogisms, welcome to the group. If you're not, welcome to the elect, okay? You're part of the logical elect. But I want to assure you that this week is going to go a lot better, okay? And it was my fault. I put way too much on you. I'm trying to take nine weeks of logic and put it in a four-week course, okay? So what are we going to do with categorical syllogisms? We're actually going to just throw them in the barn. Now, those of you that want to get um, some answers and talk about them, I'll be here afterwards and we can talk about them afterwards, okay? But for now, we're going to take categorical syllogisms and we're going to actually throw them in the barn and we're going to move on. Now, I'm excited that we actually went over them for a couple of reasons. First of all, at least you can recognize them. In other words, secondly, I, I don't, see, I don't expect you guys to be able to use these right away, but at least you can recognize, I always say you can recognize the animal, you may not be able to ride the animal, okay? So with that, we're going to use other syllogisms tonight, and at the end, I'm going to do a little bit of a different thing. In the discussion time, I'm actually going to show you how we can use a dilemma uh, to focus the debate on whether or not God exists. Okay, and We're going to talk about the existence of God, and I am passionate that we can, in fact, use logic to whip the atheist arguments with half our brains tied behind our back. Okay, does that sound like excitement? So I'm going to lecture for 50 minutes. We'll get done. We'll take a break. And then, unfortunately, I'm going to lecture longer, but you're going to see how logic is used. So finally, I'm going to show you how this stuff applies. Okay? And then next week is really exciting because we're going to get into informal fallacies, and then we're done with it all together, and we get into regular apologetics. So with that, let me pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do give you thanks tonight that we can gather together as a body and study uh, logic so that we may know your word in a deeper and greater way. And Lord, I ask that you would help equip each of us here tonight to know your word better so that we may be about your great commission and that we may also shine a light in areas of darkness in our culture and we can defeat wicked and vile arguments that stand against your gospel. So, Lord, this is a tremendous undertaking. I ask that you'd be with my brothers and sisters, give us all clarity of thought, and help us through this evening, and all for the sake of your glory of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're going to get started right away. So we just got some more language to go through, and then we're going to have fun with it, all right? Now, if you recall, we talked about three types of syllogisms, right? And we talked about the categorical and that's what we just put in the barn. We're done with those. And that was the this is that. Categorical, this is that. Now we're going to move on to tonight. And you're going to see these are a lot easier. Hypothetical, which is a if this, then that. All right? And also a disjunctive, either this or that. Now why can I so confidently say these are so easy? Let me explain right at the outset. The reason why hypotheticals and disjunctives are so easy is there's only two portions to the sentence that you have to be aware of, okay? So let's start with a hypothetical. The if this portion, now you want to write this down, is called the antecedent, okay? All right, now the second portion of the sentence starts with the then, and it is called the consequent. That's all there is to these type of syllogisms. The, the premise will have a if statement, which is the antecedent, and then it'll have the then, which is the consequent, all right? And the only thing we can do, the only thing we can do with these is we can either affirm the antecedent, the if, or deny the consequent. That's all we can do with them. If we do anything else, we're invalid. 
And remember at the outset, you guys, we are checking these things for validity, not truth. So we can have a valid argument that may not be true, right? Or we can have really an invalid argument that ends up having a true conclusion, okay? So we're just dealing with validity here, all right? Now, let me talk about hypothetical syllogisms. That's what we're going to deal with first. And there's two things, again, that we can do with them. We can do something called modus ponens, which it means affirming the antecedent. Now, I'm just showing you this Latin phrase because sometimes you'll see it in theological writings and textbooks and so forth. But all it means is affirming the antecedent. Saying yes to the if, yes, in fact, this is true. Whatever is stipulated in the if section, the antecedent, is true. Okay, that's what it means, affirming the antecedent. Secondly, what we can do to get a valid deduction is we can deny the consequent. And again, the consequent is right here. Okay, so those are the only two things we can do. Now, let me give you an example. Uh, Here's the example. It's if Jesus is God, and of course, that's our antecedent, that's underlined, correct? Then we should worship him. All right, now I'm going to show you an example of modus ponens, or affirming the antecedent. Jesus is God, second premise. So now notice, what am I doing here? All I'm doing is I'm affirming the antecedent. I'm saying, yes, the antecedent is true. Okay, therefore, look at our conclusion. Therefore, we should worship him. So now the consequent follows. So remember, just keep it really simple. Everything in these uh, hypotheticals is predicated on the if being true. Okay? That's all. So you have to affirm that, or you can deny the consequent. That's it. All right? So now let me show you. I'm going to show you the exact same syllogism, but I'm actually going to use symbolic form. Now, the reason why I'm going to use symbolic symbols for this syllogism now is because when we get to dilemmas, when you see a dilemma, it's going to be comprised of hypothetical and disjunctive syllogisms. It's a lot easier to see it in symbols. Okay, it, it cuts down on the volume that you have to look at. So again, the same syllogism, if Jesus is God, then we should worship him. Jesus is God, we just affirm the antecedent, therefore we should worship him, is the conclusion. Here it is in symbolic form. And what I do is premise one, I just come up with a term that reminds me of what's being stipulated in the if clause, okay, in the antecedent. So I just pick G, you can pick anything, maybe you want to pick J. But I said, if Jesus is God, then, and I use an arrow... Now, technically, it's a, it's a U, like a horseshoe, but I can't find that on my computer. So if any of you computer geniuses can do that, let me know. It, it's sideways, by the way, so that was the kicker. But I've seen arrows used as well. So if Jesus is God, then we should worship him. Simple enough, right? I use W for we should worship him, okay? Secondly, the second premise is Jesus is God. Okay, we affirm the antecedent, and therefore, here's a therefore symbol, or three dots, Therefore, we should worship him. Okay, very simple, right? And again, the reason why we're looking at this symbology is when we get to dilemmas, I think it makes it a lot easier. All right, now I'm going to show you an example of modus tollens. Again, that's denying the consequent. This is the second thing and the only other thing we can do with hypothetical syllogisms to get a valid deduction. And remember, we're dealing with validity, not necessarily truth, right? Okay, here's a different example. If humans are perfect, that's the antecedent, here comes the consequent, then they do not need a savior. Okay, so the consequent is highlighted red, and we're going to deny that. Okay, so we have to deny a negative statement, don't we? They do not not need a savior. Now, what is that the same as saying? They need a savior, right? Two negatives is a positive. But now that we've negated the consequent, this is valid. Now we have to negate, in the conclusion, the antecedent. Therefore, humans are not perfect. 
Okay, so this is a valid deduction. Why is it a valid deduction? Because we deny the antecedent. Okay, does that make sense? So we can either affirm, I'm sorry, did I say that we deny the consequent? Did I say that? We can either affirm the antecedent or deny the consequent. Okay, all right. Now, let me move on and just show you this one more time. The same exact uh, syllogism, and I'm going to use symbols again. If humans are perfect, then they do not need a Savior. They do not not need a Savior, which is the same thing as saying they need a Savior. Therefore, humans are not perfect. Here's how I would do it with symbology. Again, um, if humans are perfect, then they do not need a Savior. So I use a negative S. They do not not need a Savior. And, of course, that's they need a Savior. Therefore, humans are not perfect. Okay? So real simple, using a symbology. And, again, you can use any symbol you want. You can pick A's and B's, keep it real simple. But I, I typically use something that represents the antecedent and the consequent. Okay? Now, I'm going to show you... Whoop, I forgot my therefore symbol. There it is, the three dots. And by the way, I had a bugger getting those on there too. I had to do all sorts of stuff. So that took me about an hour. All right? Now we have hypothetical syllogism fallacies. All right? These are the fallacies. So the fallacies, you guys, in these syllogisms are just the opposite. If you do the opposite thing of what we've just stipulated, you get incorrect or invalid deduction. So for instance... If I deny the antecedent, and remember the antecedent, the antecedent is the if part. I'm trying to get my pointer here. The if part, right? Or if you affirm the consequent, the then part, you're going to get an invalid deduction. Does that make sense? Okay. So this is the way I always remember it. I always remember everything predicated on the antecedent. Everything's predicated on something being true. If. If this is true, then that's true. So all you have to remember is you can affirm the antecedent, Right? And then you know it's the opposite for the consequence, so you can deny the consequent. And so now you know what you can do, and it's just the opposite for what you can't do. Does that make sense? So just remember, I can affirm the antecedent. If you remember that, you know the consequent is the opposite, and that's the valid way of doing it, and everything else is invalid. Okay? Real simple, right? All right, now let's look at some... Oh, by the way, here, <laughs> this is something that Bob recommended, and I, I agree with him. We need to come up with something... That's not theological, because I realize every example I give you is theological. And you're always thinking, and you're trained well by our pastors, by Bob, Ryan, and Carl, right, to think this is, that's not true theologically. Well, I just want you to think validity, okay? So let me take something that's not theologically loaded. Think about this. Think about the fallacies. Let's just state this out verbally here. If Bill is at work, then he will not be at the beach. Now let's plug in some fallacies. Let's try denying the antecedent. So we're going to say, Bill is not at work, therefore he will not not be at the beach, which is the same thing as saying what? He will be at the beach. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with it is it doesn't necessarily follow. Perhaps Bill is at the baseball game. Okay, all we know is if Bill is at work, then he's not at the beach. But if he's not at work, we don't know where that rascal is, do we? Right? We don't know. We have no information. All we know is if he's not at work, or if he's at work, then he's not at the beach. Okay, that's all we know. All right. Now, let's try affirming the consequent. And again, if we affirm the consequent, we just say, yes, he will not be at the beach. Well, now, does that necessarily imply that he's at work? No. Maybe Bill's playing baseball. Maybe he's hunting. Who knows what Bill's doing, right? We don't know. All right. So again, you can see in this simple um, this simple statement here, why doing the opposite, in other words, uh, denying the antecedent, affirming the consequent, why that doesn't work. Okay, does that make sense? 
All right, now, let me show you some examples here. An example of denying the antecedent. If Jesus is not human, then he is God. Jesus is not not human, so what do we just do there? We denied the antecedent. We, did, we actually declared Jesus to be human. Therefore, Jesus is not God. That's terrible reasoning, isn't it? Because what we've done is we have denied the antecedent. We have come up with an invalid deduction. So the logic cop should stand up and say, go back to the drawing board. That's invalid. You denied the antecedent. Okay? Let me give an example of affirming the consequent. If reincarnation is true, then past life regression therapy will work. Now, again, the consequent is right here. We're going to affirm that. We're going to say, yes, this is in fact the case. Past life regression therapy works. Therefore, reincarnation is true. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, the problem is, is maybe there's other options. Maybe past, what is it? Past life regression therapy works because God made us that way. Or evolution is true. Or, and mind you, I'm not trying to say things that are true. I'm just coming up with the other options, right? We're just dealing with validity. There's other reasons that aren't stipulated. We don't know about. So again, it's invalid. We have come up with an invalid deduction. We have to go back to the drawing board, okay? All right, now, um, let me give you some examples. And what I'm going to have you do is just take a few seconds and look at them. And, and then what I'll do is I'll walk you through them. So just on your piece of paper that you have, just write down if you think it's valid or invalid. So the first one here is, if God exists then mankind has meaning in life. Mankind has meaning in life, therefore God exists. Okay, is that valid or invalid? And I think does everybody got it. It's, it's invalid, isn't it? Because we've just affirmed the consequent, right? Now, and let's just think about this a minute. If we affirm the consequent, yes, that man has meaning in life, does it necessarily follow that God exists? Not necessarily. Maybe they have meaning in their life because they bought a boat. I, you know, I don't know, or a new sewing machine for you gals, or I don't know what you gals like. Whatever you gals like, okay? You got a Macy's card or something. I don't know, okay? But there's something other, there's something else in life, right? We don't know, okay? I'll just shut up at that point, all right? <laughs> Did that make sense, everybody? Okay. Everything looks better this time in your faces. If the Bible is the word of God, then it is inerrant. Okay? The Bible is the word of God, therefore it's inerrant. So what do we do here? Is this valid or invalid? This would be valid, right? We affirm the antecedent, and that is a logical, uh, true deduction, right? A valid deduction, I should say. Get rid of truth. Valid deduction. Okay? Another example. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we are lost in our sin. It is not the case that Christ did not rise from the dead. We are not lost in our sins. Now remember, theologically this is true. But is it a valid way of putting the argument? Is it valid or invalid? It's invalid, right? Because we denied the antecedent. So again, we would want to go back to the drawing board and rephrase our argument. Okay? All right, good job. One more. If evolution is true, then the second law of thermodynamics is wrong. But the second, of, the second law of thermodynamics is not wrong. Therefore, evolution is not true. Okay? Is that valid or invalid? Which, which one is it? Yeah. It's, why would it be valid? Because we denied the consequent, right? Yeah, we had the not in here. So 
It says, then the second law of thermodynamics is wrong. Well, we said it's not wrong. So we denied the consequent, and that's a valid deduction. Therefore, evolution is not true, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, because remember, we can affirm the antecedent, and we can deny the consequent, right? All right. Now, let me give you an exegetical insight using logic. Now, keep in mind, exegesis, by the way, this may be a term that's new to you. Exegesis means pulling out of the scriptures what's actually there. And and mind you, as Christians, we want to avoid what? Eisegesis, which is reading our own meaning into the text. Okay. Now, to be honest with you, this isn't much of an exegetical insight, and I'm deliberately picking this because it shows you that all of us use logic, whether we can put it in in formal written language or not. Okay. So why is this important? Well, remember, a lot of the emergence and the postmoderns are saying that you and I, as Western Christians, are merely imposing logic upon an Eastern text. Okay? And they say, ah, we shouldn't be doing that. We should be thinking like the Eastern people. Well, I'm going to show you here is an example that, in fact, the Jews used logic. And everybody does. So let me just show you the example. Out of Deuteronomy 18, you recall... And I just summarized it, that God would one day raise up a prophet like Moses from amongst the Israelites, right? Well, then in Deuteronomy 34.10, and mind you, Joshua probably wrote this because Moses had died. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said that there there has not been a prophet like Moses. Okay? Whoops, my thing just clicked over. So this is what I put this in a hypothetical syllogism. Think about it this way. And this is fun. You can do this all over the scriptures if you want. Spend a Sunday doing that. That's really fun. If God has not yet raised up a prophet like Moses, then we should still expect a prophet like Moses. Right? Isn't that simple? All right? So let me draw it out here in, um, I'm going to put it, in fact, in symbolic form. So I used Y to indicate that he has not yet raised a prophet like Moses. So if he's not yet raised a prophet like Moses, we should still expect a prophet like Moses. In fact, I affirm the antecedent. He has not yet raised up a prophet like Moses. Therefore, we should still expect a prophet like Moses. All right? Now, what we find in the New Testament is that's exactly what the Jews were expecting. They understood this logically. They knew that one day a prophet like Moses would come amongst uh, from their brethren. Okay? In fact, Jesus was teaching at the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7. And after the teaching, they knew something was up with him. And this is what they said, the Jews. They said, some of the people, uh, therefore, when they heard these words, that uh, namely his, uh, his teaching, they were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Okay? So again, they had deduced that from what was written in the scriptures. And it was a valid deduction. Right? So again, they didn't know maybe all these fancy rules, but they were using logic all, all the while. Now, one thing that's kind of interesting is when I was in seminary, I read a book by F.F. F. Bruce, and he did some work on the Dead Sea Scrolls. And when he did work on the Dead Sea Scrolls, he found out that in the Qumran community, they actually, some people in the Qumran community, expected that there would be three different types of messiahs. There would be a prophet messiah, a priest messiah, and then a king messiah. But isn't it beautiful that Jesus fulfills all three, doesn't he? He's the prophet like Moses, he's the priest in the order of Melchizedek, and he's the king like David, par excellence, isn't he? So, isn't that beautiful? That is our Messiah. He's all three. But again, people use logic, and in fact, we can't understand anything without using it. So sure enough, we are not doing what the emergence claim by imposing logic on an Eastern text. They used it as well. 
Okay, now let me give you one that Bob had in a Sunday school class. And I'm going to bring up something called a biconditional, but I'm going to show you a fallacy of reasoning out of 2 Corinthians 5. And here we have a hypothetical uh, statement. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, antecedent, right, then it's implied he is a new creature. That's the consequent. Now, how many times have you guys heard people reason this way? They see somebody that seems to have a change in their life. They say, ah, Bill is a new creature. Therefore, Bill is in Christ. Well, what did they do? They pulled a boo-boo, didn't they? They ended up affirming the consequent, right? And that is a logical fallacy, all right? So the fallacy is this. People often make assertions about radical life-changing events through various religious experiences. In other words, when we go to the scriptures, we want to come up with valid deductions from the scriptures. That would be an invalid deduction, okay? Just because somebody demonstrates that they may have a changed life doesn't necessarily follow that they're in Christ. Maybe they found some other, something else in their life. I don't know what, baseball, Macy's cards, or whatever, okay? Sorry to stick on the Macy's cards. I don't know what else to say. All right. So here's how we can, though. We can use something called a biconditional, and a biconditional allows us in these if-then statements. A biconditional is when we use if and only if. Then we can either affirm or deny either the antecedent or the consequent, okay? So watch this. If and only if anyone is in Christ, then he is a new creature. Okay? If and only if. It's the only, it's the only way that he could be a new creature is if he's in Christ. Now, let's try doing a fallacy. Let's try affirming the consequent. Let's affirm it and say he is a new creature. Well, if he is a new creature, we know it's if and only if he's in Christ. So therefore, it's valid. You see that? So if you want to be able to use an antecedent or deny or affirm an antecedent or deny or affirm a consequent, you can always throw an if and only if, a biconditional. Okay, does that make sense? All right, but the, the thing that we can take with us from the scriptures is remember, when we, when we look at 2 Corinthians 5, we can't just deduce that if somebody's a new creature, necessarily they're in Christ, all right? Otherwise, we, could, we might, in fact, have a false conversion. All right, now, I'm going to change topics. Does everybody feel that they've got the hypotheticals down? We'll come back to them. I'm going to give you... Um, when we're done with this session, um, I'm going to give you a sheet at the end where we're going to kind of have all the fallacies listed, okay? So we'll come back to them again. But we're going to move on to disjunctive syllogisms. And these are very easy, very, very easy. Let me show you. This is an example of one. And a disjunctive syllogism, notice it has an either and an or. And there's only two parts to a disjunctive syllogism. Let me just read it to you and I'll tell you the parts. Either Jesus is the way of salvation or there are other ways. Okay, so here's the first portion. It's called an alternate. So the first alternate follows the either. Either Jesus is the way of salvation, one alternate, or there are other ways, right? The, the other alternate. So there's just two alternates, all right, in a disjunctive. Two alternates, an either and an or. That's all you've got. That's all you have to remember, all right? Now, how do you get a valid deduction from this type of statement? You have to deny one of the alternates. You just deny one of them, Okay. But if you do anything else, if you try to affirm one, they're going to be in trouble. So let me just show you. We'll deny one. We're going to deny one of the alternates. There are no other ways of salvation. And, of course, we find that in John 14:6 and Acts 4:12 and all over the scriptures, right? Therefore, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Okay? Now let's talk about fallacies. Again, disjunctive syllogisms must have one alternate denied. Think about this. Affirming either alternate leads to a fallacy because it does not negate the possibility of both alternates being true. 
Let me go up here. Think about if we affirmed this alternate. We said there are other ways. But does that deny that Jesus is one of those other ways or one of the ways? No. We have to deny one alternate or the other. Or let's say we affirm Jesus is the way of salvation. Does that necessarily negate the possibility of there being other ways? Okay, do you see? So we have to negate one alternate or the other. And again, just to everybody clear, we're talking about validity, not truth. Okay? I don't want to be up for a heresy trial here. All right. All right, disjunctive syllogism examples. Let me show you a few. For instance, there's one in Deuteronomy 30 where Moses says, either follow Yahweh and live or worship other gods and die. A very clear disjunctive, right? Now, what's interesting, what I think is kind of interesting is the Israelites actually lived out a fallacy. How did they live out a fallacy? Well, they affirmed that, yes, we will follow after Yahweh our God, but how did they live? They lived by not negating one of the, the alternates, right? They didn't forsake the other gods. So in a sense, they lived out a fallacy. What a great example. Okay? All right. Anyway, maybe I'm taking it too far here. But nonetheless, you can see what I mean. Now here, let me give you another example of a three-alternate example. And we're actually going to be using something very similar to this week six when we prove the existence of God to atheists. Okay? And I'll have a different take on it, and there'll be some other alternates. But remember... All we have to do is, if let's say we have three alternates, we have to deny two of them and have a remaining. If we have four alternates, we have to deny three of them and have a remaining. So do you see? We always have to have just one left. Okay, let me show you this example. God is either uncaused, self-caused, or caused by another. So what I'm going to show you, and again, we're going to have a very similar example week six. All we have to do is rule out the ones that are underlined, and we can now, why can, we, why can we rule this out a priori, which means out of hand? We don't even have to look at any further evidence. Why can God not be self-caused? Because it violates the law of causality, doesn't it, and the law of non-contradiction. How can God not exist and then exist at the same time to put itself, himself into existence? Right? It's irrational. So we can get rid of that one right away. Nothing can self-create itself. In fact, that's why we know God is eternal. Right? We, we actually know from the scriptures, but it, it corresponds, doesn't it? So therefore, we can rule that one out. Now, what about God being caused by another? Well, the problem with that is the very definition of God is the uncaused causer. That's his definition. If that, that's God's definition. He's the first cause. He is not in effect. He is a cause. So he can't be caused by another. Otherwise, we just change his definition. In our dictionary, God means first cause. Okay? So we can get rid of that option. God can't be caused by another because he is the first cause. Therefore, we're only left with one other possibility. God is uncaused, right? Simple. We denied two of the three alternates and we're left with the only option, right? And therefore, God is uncaused, I am. And that corresponds to our theology, doesn't it? Again, God calls himself, I am, Yahweh. And remember, that's a form of a yiktol verb. A yiktol verb is a verb that literally means, I will be who I will be. And that's what God calls himself, in Exodus 3.14, when Moses says, who should I say that sent me to the Israelites? And he says, tell them I am sent you. Okay? So again, all this logic corresponds to the very character of God. I think that's beautiful. Now, let's talk more about these disjunctive fallacies. And I'm going to tell you how not to do it. And I'm going to give you an example from an atheist called Bertrand Russell. He was a philosopher slash mathematician who died in 1970. He lived in England. And he had a disjunctive fallacy. Let's look at it here. He said, 
Life was caused by either evolution or by God. Now watch what he does here. Life was caused by evolution, he reasoned. Therefore, God is not necessary. Well, what did he do? He didn't deny an alternate, but rather he affirmed one. And what's the problem with that? It doesn't negate the other possibility, does it? You see, in other words, yes, evolution, if you affirm the fact that life was caused by evolution, perhaps God used evolution. Now, I'm not maintaining that. I'm just saying it doesn't preclude it. So, in other words, he committed a boo-boo, didn't he? It was an invalid deduction. He affirmed an alternate rather than negating one of them. All right. Invalid. Russell affirmed an alternate, which is a formal fallacy. It does not account, again, for the possibility of both alternates being true. Now, remember that we are merely checking for formal validity, not soundness. Soundness requires that the premises are true as well. Okay? And, again, friends, why that's important is when we look at validity, if we see something is valid, then all we have to do is argue about the premises. Because if the premises are true, the conclusion is necessarily true. And that's why deduction is so powerful, because we can yield necessary conclusions. And I'll show you that, in fact, when we get into the dilemmas, when I put the, um, put the squeeze on the atheist. Okay? Now, let's look at some disjunctive syllogism examples. And again, just take a few seconds, and you just write on a piece of paper if you think it's valid or invalid. Here, either God exists or he doesn't exist. Okay? It is not the case that he doesn't exist. Okay? So is that valid or invalid? Therefore, God exists. That would be valid, right? Because he denied an alternate here. Yeah? Does that all make sense? Let me give you another one. Either God exists or evil exists. Evil exists. Therefore, God doesn't exist. That's invalid, right? They affirmed an alternate, right? And in fact, you know, let's just talk about truth for a minute. Uh, in fact, we know truthfully that God does exist while evil exists, right? Okay? So, if someone were to try to reason this way, we could say that's invalid. You're, you're affirming one alternate. We have to deny an alternate, okay? So again, it sharpens our minds and it tells us what the issue is, all right? Uh, either the law of entropy is not true. Again, remember, that's the second law of thermodynamics. Okay, we'll talk more about that week six. Or the universe had a beginning. The law of entropy is not not true, okay? So therefore, it is true. It's a double negative, right? But of course, they're negating that alternate. The universe had a beginning. And would that be valid or invalid? That would be valid, right? Because they negated one of the alternates. Yeah, denied an alternate. All right. Now, let me give you, here's the summary slide. And, oh, gosh, we're way ahead of time. I must have been talking rather fast. And this is good news because what we can do then is we can um, spend more time on these dilemmas. And then I'll get done talking sooner. And then we can take questions and answers. And that'll be more fun. Okay, so let's look at this summary sheet, though, real quick. And what I'm going to have you do is we'll take a break maybe a little early and we'll come back early. And then I'll lecture and we'll have time for questions and answers. But I'm going to have you keep this sheet open because it will come in handy when we're looking at dilemmas. Because, by golly, dilemmas are made up of hypothetical and disjunctive syllogisms. That's all there is to it. So if you know these, you know them. Okay? Okay. So let's take a summary. Valid deductions, looking at hypothetical syllogisms. We have the if-then, remember? It's the antecedent and the consequent. Antecedent, consequent. And how do we get a valid deduction? Well, we either affirm the antecedent or we deny the consequent. Okay, that's the only way. The disjunctive syllogisms, they're made of either or. These are two alternates, the either alternate or the or alternate. Okay, and the only way to get a valid deduction is to deny one of them. 
Okay, we must do that. Now, on the other side are fallacies, the way to get invalid deductions of hypothetical syllogisms. Again, the if is the antecedent, the then is the consequent. If we deny the antecedent or we affirm the consequent, we're, we have ourselves a fallacy. And again, in the disjunctive syllogism, we have the either or. And again, either alternate or the or alternate, right? And again, if we affirm one alternate, then we've got issues because they both might be true, right? All right, so that's, that's it. That's all there is to these things. And what we'll do is we'll leave this out. And again, we'll get into dilemmas here in a minute. And then you're going to see how um, a dilemma is two hypothetical syllogisms, or, or I should say premises, then it'll have, that'll be the major premise, and then you're going to see a minor premise comprised of a disjunctive uh, sentence, and then the final conclusion is another disjunctive. So it's two hypotheticals and two disjunctives put together. So there's four sentences, basically, and that's a dilemma. Okay? So you know all there is to it right now, and so we'll, just, we'll get into that when we come back. So should we take, um, let's take just ten minutes, and we'll come back, and then I'll get done early. We can take questions and talk and stuff.